It's clear that consumers consider personalization a key aspect of a rewarding customer experience. There's no doubt that those brands that can create personalized engagements with smart, immersive tech will also boost loyalty and profitability. But there's a catch. Customers have serious concerns about how their data is being used, stored, and shared. Hello, I'm Wilson Raj, and welcome to the Reimagine Marketing Podcast. Today's episode is The Evolving Nature of Digital Trust. I'm joined by my guest, Daniel Newman, Principal Analyst and Founding Partner of Futurum Research. And we're excited to talk about how brands can offer that perfect blend of trust and technology. I think anybody who's provided their data, who uses social media, understands that sort of balance between giving their data and receiving an experience. And as time has gone on, we've seen more and more visibility out there in the market from data breaches to how my data is being used to even very, very world issues like elections and how privacy and data can be utilized to possibly manipulate or change outcomes. Well, in the world of customer experience, our relationship with brands comes down to our ability to trust that we can give data and get an experience. Wilson, I was told early on that nobody will complain when an experience is too good. So as long as the data being given creates an experience that is really, really good, people will never mind it. But in our survey, we dug deep into this topic. We wanted to find out, is that true? And in the future, will that be true? But before we dig into some of the data, I always am curious when I meet people or when I talk to people, how do you feel about trust? Are you willing to just splash your data out there, Wilson? Or are you, like me and being in this business, have you become a little bit jaded, a little bit cautious with how you share your data with brands? You know, Daniel, I would certainly count myself uh, within the masses, and I certainly uh, the research experience uh, 2030, the future of customer experience. And by the way, you can find this research on sas.com slash experience 2030 in all of its detail. And certainly this area of, of digital trust is, is well handled uh, in, in that paper. But coming back to, to, on my experience, I'm like probably all consumers where I'm willing to trade some privacy for relevant real-time personalization. So now there is a fine balance to strike in between my desire for privacy and my desire for personalization. I think this is really the hinge point from the brands that I interact with, whether they're retailers or banks or or telcos or whatever the, the situation would be in terms of how do they make me feel known and welcome while preserving my privacy, that's the hinge point. And it doesn't seem like there's a lot of consensus just yet on how that's accomplished. It seems a lot of brands are are actively out trying to collect data, both uh, actively and passively. And if you want to understand what I mean by that, well, if you want to download an asset – experience 2030 at sas.com slash experience 2030, you may have to fill out a form. Right. That's an active participation in sharing data in return for a very, very good report. But a passive experience might be something like location services turned on when you're using an app on your phone or cookies that a website can collect that look at how you're 
shopping or what you're looking at when you're on a website. So there are many ways that we're giving privacy and giving uh, data in exchange for experiences. And there were some really interesting stats in this study. We looked at things like, do people believe that brands can keep their data private? And about 54% of people said, yes, they believe so. And so while that is the majority, Wilson, it's like, that also kind of is concerning because that means a lot of people don't trust brands right now. And I'll give you another stat. Um, 73% of people are concerned with how brands are using their personal data. Now, you, your work day in and day out serves the purpose of helping brands use analytics more effectively to get better insights about their customers. So this is probably an, a, a data point that you're really going to have to take into the boardrooms and into the meeting rooms. 73% concerned with how brands are using their personal data. How do, how do brands correct that? You know, I think that the onus is back on the brand. So from a SaaS perspective, clearly, I mean, our whole mission is really to turn a world of data into a world of intelligence for our customers across the world. And because we deal with data, one of the things that we have incorporated into our operating rhythm or our mindset is this notion of uh, the principle of digital guardianship, where as a, as a company, as SaaS, because we deal with data, because we deal with lots of data, right, that come from both passive and active interactions from a, from a customer perspective, uh, we are certainly putting in mechanisms in place that help meet those expectations of uh, rising privacy. So, for example, things such as model governance, uh, things such as data governance and, and data security, putting in protocols in place to secure all that data, whether it's on the cloud, whether it was on uh, – on-premise, or whether it's in a hybrid mode. It does not matter. So we, we are actually putting in those digital guardianship principles in play from a uh, governance, but also from a technology perspective. How do you limit the lifespan of a model, right, before it, it ages out and before it starts collecting, you know, other, other uh, ex extraneous data? So I think that's a key thing, you know, from, from our perspective. And I think, I suspect that other brands will have some element of digital guardianship for themselves. For example, having retention dates for the, the, for how long they keep data, uh, securing that data. And also from the other perspective, how do you communicate how that data is used through very clear terms and conditions? So to me, all that comes under digital guardianship. Yeah, I think that's an important topic. And I think another insight that we really pulled out of this our team of analysts that reviewed all this at Futurum is, is control. And I think we're going to have to move towards a future where there is more control that the individuals have over their data. Because one of the big takeaways was people's lack of trust kind of comes back to a feeling of being out of control with how their data is collected and then where it goes. And I'll give you a couple of data points there. Uh, one, you know, people's fears and concerns about how they're being tracked when they shop. That can be online, but also in a store. 64% said they don't like uh, when they're tracked or recorded on camera. In, at an event or any public place. So people don't really like being on camera. And 57% of, of people don't want to be part of any facial recognition. And we already know it's moving that way. But the majority of people don't want it. Now, that's sort of a lack of control 
on-premises, if you looked at it that way. Now, let's talk about a lack of control in the background. People want to know if they can get to the data and say, hey, Facebook, what do you know about me? We all have heard those stories. There's a hundreds, if not thousands of pages on all of us that these data companies, these social companies, for instance, have. But asking for that info, it's almost impossible to gather because there's really no responsibility at this point for that to be clearly showed. Um, Well, 78% of people want to be able to know what's been captured, and then they want to be able to change it. They want to be able to update it. They want to be able to delete it. Well, as of right now, that's not a reality. And this is kind of an interesting thing looking towards the future, Wilson, is 61% feel they have no control over uh, the privacy they need for themselves, their family, and their children. So there's a a trust issue that's being created by control, but I also think that's an opportunity from the data for brands to utilize that to differentiate themselves. And we'll talk about that more in a future podcast where we really dig into recommendations for each section of the study, but that was really, really interesting and we see as a clear opportunity. Now, I want to move into a new topic because – um, another part of the survey we focused on was trust and untrusted brand slash industries. And there was a lot of very interesting data. We looked at over uh, 10 different industries and we looked at what was most trusted and what was least trusted. And Wilson, I'd love to hear from you. I'm sure going into that, you probably had some thoughts of how that would land. How did the rankings land compared to how you kind of felt uh, they would land and, and, and any takeaways you have from that? I think the the findings aren't very surprising. <clears throat> Typically, even in other surveys, we've found that uh, folks uh, who are dealing with banks or with healthcare or uh, health data, there seems to be a higher sense of, of secured data simply because there's higher legislative you know, forces that are being exerted on those organizations in terms of a higher standard of data governance, a higher standard of data access and, and uh, security. Now, I think to uh, to your earlier point, brands, regardless of whether they are, have, are on the low trust or on the high trust spectrum, regardless, moving to the futures, data privacy now becomes a competitive customer experience differentiator. I think that's a key thing. So instead of looking at it as a, a negative, as a governance thing, organizations can look at that as a customer experience enabler. So the more they can uh, make consumers or prospects feel that their data is secure and is used for the express purpose of providing them with relevant, contextualized, personalized interactions, then the more consumers will trust those those brands. And I think part of it is, as as we alluded to, is, is providing mechanisms for individuals to be able to check and review their personal data to ensure accuracy, to ensure that the data is used properly. And also to your point, you you gave the other word, control. That's giving them complete control to be able to take that data out, to be able to, so there's data portability there, uh, and also to be able to request different dimensions of that data to be used in different ways. And that's all that is the consumer uh, power right there. Yeah, I have to say, and, and and to be clear, we actually looked at over 25 industries and then broke it into kind of top tens. And then the way we broke it down further was we looked at most trusted and least trusted, or you could quote unquote call it not trusted. And there were some fascinating data points that came out of this. First of all, Wilson, what really 
blew my mind was of all 25 industries, only one, one industry actually had a greater level of trust than distrust from the 4,000 respondents. Mm -hmm. And that was healthcare. And that number came in at 51% trust. So just over the line. That's a huge opportunity. See, you could say, it would be easy for me to jump in and say, that's a huge problem. But what I see is the cream of these industries are going to rise to the top and leverage technologies, utilize communications and transparencies to end up helping consumers trust individual brands within industries. Because there's always going to be the best of breed. There's always going to be your outliers. There's always going to be those that unfortunately abuse and take advantage. And hopefully what ends up happening is those those companies that really embrace this opportunity are able to differentiate themselves and not only carry their industries forward respectively to having greater trust levels, but carry their companies to being those more successful uh, organizations in 2025, 2030, and beyond. Uh, it was interesting to look at who's not trusted because the top three are really, it, it's crazy, but top three are all areas where we would typically garner the information we use in our lives to make decisions from elections to where we make decisions on what things we buy. The highest not trusted number came out at 47% for social media. Mm-hmm. And we all know, and we'll talk more about this throughout this series, that's a big recommendation engine for where we decide to buy things. The next one was news, advertising, and publishing. Well, that's another source of, of information that consumers use to make decisions in B2B, B2C, B2B2C, those are big outlets, right? We read and we learn and we consume. And the third one was government and public services. So we're saying we don't trust our social media. We don't trust the news, advertising, and publishing, and we don't trust government and public services. So that kind of creates this scary divide between where we get our information and how do we use this information to make purchasing decisions? Absolutely. And I think a lot of it, if you look at the back of these things, such as social media and some of these other things, is going is driven back by algorithms, right? If you look at like recommendation engines and so on. And more and more, if we read in the news how uh, companies such as Google and Facebook are using very advanced data analytics to pass through that data and to be able to provide and surface content, right? Which the algorithm, right? However, it's tuned, thinks is is the right one that the consumer or, or the audience wants to to look at. Now, uh, again, I think that, that brings up another point around the efficacy of those algorithms, right? Are they, how are they tuned? Uh, most of this is black box, uh, right? Where from a SaaS perspective, you know, we believe more in a blue box where we lock it down so that you don't mess around with it. But however, data scientists have an opportunity to, to govern those models, to test those models, and to make sure there's, there's, you know, that they're reducing bias in those things. So I think, you know, as we, the, the interesting you know, concept here is that as we get to a more data-driven, more algorithmic construct of customer experience, uh, there's also this danger of distrust because now this, these models or algorithms somehow uh, are not necessarily neutral, right? They've been tuned and, and they're maybe acting off, uh, you know, you know data sets, and, and recommending things that, uh, but then maybe masking others. Now, I'm not saying that's intentional, but uh, that's why I think, uh, you know, when I maybe talk about digital guardianship, right, it's not just making sure your data is secure, it's making sure your algorithms are secure, making sure your algorithms are updated and they're truly learning, 
uh, and, and taking into account all those data points to provide the, you know, the most optimal recommendation or next best action. Great omni-channel experiences really should take into consideration where the customer, where the consumer wants to be contacted and, and enable that. Right. And so to, to your point, though, some people want automation and some people want an AI uh, chat bot to, to communicate with. Some people want a, a company to pick up the phone and answer their questions. And, and trust is created through those different channels. If a, they have a great experience, some people are completely willing for that passive automation, technologically driven, algorithmic communication. And other people really still want human to human. And companies being able to deal with that will be able to create trust faster by enabling the right experience in the right channel. I want to talk about one more thing in these industries. In this study, one of the things we did, it is a global study, and we covered the whole world. So we had 4,000 respondents from all over the world. And it was sort of interesting. We looked at Asia-Pac, Europe, LATAM, Middle East, and North America separately. And just a quick stat on each. I figured I'll give that because depending where in the world you are, and we hope you're all over the world, um, Asia-Pac actually, for instance, had a higher level of trust overall. There wasn't a single industry where their level of distrust was higher than their uh, level of trust, which is a, a positive thing to see in parts of the world. And that may mean there's some learnings from the way Asia-Pacific-based companies are run that they've been able to garner this greater level of trust. Uh, however, in several other regions, specifically Europe and North America, there's a trust crisis. So uh, in Europe, it's an average of 39% are not trusted versus only 32% trusted. In North America, no industry has 50% plus consumer trust. Uh, and 18 of the 25 have negative trust rankings. And then you have areas like LATAM, where uh, the government is their highest distrusted, quote unquote, industry, which if you follow the news, there's probably a lot of reasons you could get to that. And then in the Middle East and Africa, it's their media. So you see, and, and, and Wilson, this disconnect between where we get our information and who we trust is so significant. I can only imagine that as we move on to the final part of this show and we start to talk about overcoming the trust gap, it really does start with the companies. It starts with the brands and the industries being able to communicate to people information that they can use. So let's talk about that as we as we come t together. Did you want to chime in on the uh, on the on the regions? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, I think go ahead. on the on the Asia Pac stuff, you're absolutely right. They're way ahead in the in the use of um, digital in terms of uh, and algorithms to be able to just run you know do their daily lives. And let's let's take facial recognition as a form of authentication. Right now, now that market is projected to double to nine billion. Uh, between 2018 and 2024, just a couple of years from from now, right? But uh, research by Mortal Intelligence, and then if you look at in China, particularly uh, companies like Ant Financial Services Group, which is uh, Alibaba entity that that operates Alipay, and then Tencent Holdings, which runs WeChat, they already launched facial recognition machines at pretty much tons of these point of sales, you know, in retail, in banks, and so on. So they're basically removing that last barrier between you know the body and and payments, right? So even taking away wearables and 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 whatnot, uh, and this using biometrics, facial recognition to be able to pay bills, uh, that's happening right now in China. Uh, and so I think again now, 
the adoption there now I don't know I won't say that they they trust those brands but there's definitely there's an aggressive adoption of technology where it's being now run by biometrics so I think in Europe you know, with things such as the data privacy act and and so on there's a, an opposite shift where the notion of uh, data portability and privacy is is paramount to the consumer and those are having impacts also in the US in terms of consumer protection laws and so on. So I think at the end of the day, it still goes back to the, the fundamental question we, we talked about earlier. From a customer perspective, uh, there are two expectations. Number one, know me as an individual, but at the same time, you have to do what it takes to protect my, my privacy. Uh, so that those dual tech, uh, expectations we seem to be in opposition to each other is, is what brands have to reconcile today and into the future. Yeah, so let's talk about some of the ideas that, you know, overcoming consumer trust. First, securing their data. About six out of 10 companies say that's the number one thing. That number's too low. It really needs to be 10 out of 10. Yes. Every company needs to prioritize that. And then when it comes to the evaluation of that, less than half of companies actually think they need a continuous evaluation of their privacy security policies that number needs to go up. It needs to be more frequent because the those that are trying to breach and take advantage of data and abuse data are always going to be evolving. It's the same black hat, white hat issue that's always taking place with cybersecurity. So that number needs to go up. Brands need to enhance the requirements of their partners. About 51% of companies really want to see standardization among their data security with all of their customers. This is a best practice. You can't have an ecosystem where you're very secure, but then the data is being released out to partners that you don't really know how the data is being used. This is a big deal moving forward. And transparency is a big deal. 48% of companies strongly agree on the value of a proactive approach to transparency. Well, to me, that feels low. We know that companies need to sometimes investigate an issue before they publicize it because of all the collateral damage. We're business people. We're understanding of that. But at the same time, having breaches and then hearing later six months, 12 months, 18 months, that executives had time to unload their stock before they actually announced a breach is problematic. There's no coming back from that. And while in the age of the internet, people's memories are very short, Wilson, I think we are getting to the point where we're tired of it. We're tired of hearing about our data is being breached. People, this goes back to that lack of control. Putting people back in control starts with getting your house in order. It means getting your data secure, having policies, making your ecosystem work. What recommendations did I miss or any others that you want to give to people? I think to the last point around governance and security, I think that, you know, the point uh, is absolutely crucial that things such as uh, fraud and risk assessment. Now, you don't have to be in banking to do fraud and risk assessment or insurance. Basically, any vertical, right? You could be in education, you could be in government, you could be in um, retail or hospitality, but things such as fraud detection, risk assessments, uh, credit risk, all those kinds of things from an analytic perspective, now are not just confined to the back end, but now have direct impact to the customer experience. So I think uh, looking at those kind of functions within uh, organizations today and, and bringing that to the fore in terms of asking, 
Now, how can I use my fraud or my, my risk assessment capabilities, not just to mitigate risk, but to enhance consumer trust? That becomes a pivotal question. So now it becomes more strategic as opposed to playing defense. Now you're playing offense, right? And trying to really build that trust. But, but I said earlier, doing what it takes. So it's not just a great campaigns or great personalization or, or great relevance, but it's the entire company, right? In all, uh, in all the different functions working together to, Number one, secure that data, and then number two, provide transparency in the ways that we, you know, that uh, we mentioned here, to to earn that trust. And that's it for this week's episode of the Reimagine Marketing Podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, please head on over to sas.com/experience2030 to gain access to our free resources. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Thank you for listening.